Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Leticia Niago, the 2021 Vice President of Learning for the Metro DC chapter of the Association for Talent Development. Hello, I'm Christina Eanes, the Director of Virtual Programs. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie Hubka, and I am the VP of Finance. We also have Helena Hodges, Director of Technology and Operations, as our producer. For today's episode, we are interviewing the co-founder and CEO of Endurance Learning, Brian Washburn. Welcome, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on this podcast. Nice. Before we jump into our topic, presenting styles, please, if you don't mind, share a little bit about yourself with our listeners. Sure. My name is Brian Washburn, as you mentioned, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Endurance Learning, which is an instructional design firm that helps organizations, big and small, for and nonprofit, put together learning programs, whether they're in-person or virtual or e-learning. And I recently had an opportunity to write my first book published by ATD Press called What's Your Formula, which hopefully we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but I'm also very active in our local chapter of ATD, which I'm in Seattle, so ATD Puget Sound. I am currently the past president as well. Very nice. We're so glad to have you on with us. Let's tap into some of your expertise for our listeners, presenting styles. First, Brian, you authored an amazing article that I picked up from TD Magazine titled Presenters Know Thyself. I was quite drawn to your analysis. Can you tell us why do you think it was important to share with our talent development community the meaning behind understanding the type of presenter we are so that we can focus on the necessary strategies to enhance our practice? Yeah, I love this question. And and the article itself um, was, was pretty fun to put together. It was really based on an experience that I had had uh, a little while back working with a client. There was an IT department. So the director of this IT department within this global organization had said, hey, we're having trouble with some customer service. Can you help us with some customer service training? And I said, sure. And so we put together this customer service training for them. And then I went out and I led the pilot version of the training program. And it was also serving as a train the trainer program. So the people who were going to be delivering this were, were part of this pilot program so they could see how it ran. And at the end of it, the director came up to me and said, wow, that was that was a really well put together training program. It was really effective. Um, we had some really good conversations. I, I really like it. But I don't know that I could actually deliver it like you delivered it. And it dawned on me that I had developed a training that somebody else is going to deliver, but I had developed it for myself to deliver. I was comfortable with all the activities, but he said, you know what, there's things that are, that you did that actually aren't in a lesson plan. You ask questions, you, you engage people in dialogue in ways that they're not in the script and I wouldn't be able to do that. And so it dawned on me that, you know, we, we 
as presenters come from all different experiences. And um, some of us are really good with the subject matter expertise. Some of us have backgrounds in adult learning. Um, and oftentimes that's portrayed as a continuum, right? On one end of the scale, you have subject matter experts that are really good and, and technical uh, at technical things. And then on the other end of the continuum, you have people that are really fluent in engaging people through dialogue. And then maybe somewhere in the middle is where you get really effective trainers. The problem with that is it's only a two-dimensional continuum. And I think that there's more than more dimensions in that, right? So if you think of somebody like a, a Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's really good technically, but also very engaging when it comes to presenting, where do they fall in that continuum? And so what I ended up coming up with was a two-by-two two matrix that really takes a look at um, a couple of different things. One is how much technical expertise does somebody have? For, and that can be from a low end to a high end. And also, how much ability does somebody have to engage adult learners in the learning process? And again, that can go from low to high. And with that, we have a, a two by two matrix, which we can talk about a little bit more. But that was kind of the inspiration for where this whole model came from in the first place. Wow. I know a lot of presenters and talent development professionals and trainers are related to this. Now, can you share with us the main types of presenting styles? Yeah. Yeah. So if you if you think of this two by two matrix. So if you can, if you can envision this in your mind, right? So we have on the, on the horizontal axis. So going from bottom to top, you have people, you, you have a range of abilities to apply adult learning from people who aren't quite sure how to do it to the top that are people who, that are really good putting together, um, and delivering presentations with lots of adult learning principles baked in. And then from left to right, you have people um, who either are, have very little technical expertise or lots and lots of technical expertise. So we, we slice that into, into quadrants, into four quadrants. And so in this first quadrant, we, we talk about people that have low technical expertise and little ability to apply adult learning principles. And basically what we call that is kind of the messenger, right? So that's a person maybe that's been asked to present. Maybe it's an HR person who um, who is, is doing new employee orientation and talking to people about the different areas of the company. They're not experts in any one area of the company, maybe HR they're experts in, but everything else, maybe not. And they're also probably not necessarily um, really versed in delivering uh, presentations with lots of adult learning principles baked in. So that's that's that first quadrant, right? So so kind of a messenger. If you go to the right of that quadrant, that's where we get a lot of subject matter experts. So people that have a lot of technical expertise, but perhaps don't always know how to engage people, especially if other people aren't necessarily quite as passionate about that topic. When you go above that, go to the top right quadrant, that's the people that are both really good with technical expertise and really engaging, really able to put together um, lots of adult learning um, theory 
into into practice. That is a pretty rare animal. Um, there's very few people that actually do both of those things well, in my experience. And actually, that's oftentimes by design within organizations. I can talk about that a little bit more. But let me go to the left, the upper left quadrant. And that is where people are really, really good at facilitating conversations and engaging people in, in dialogue, really good at, at you know, putting together activities and in, in activity instructions, delivering good instructions, but perhaps aren't necessarily technical experts. A lot of us in the field of learning and development may fall in this upper left-hand quadrant, right? Unless we're delivering a presentation about how to put together a lesson plan or how to do presentation skills, that we might find ourselves in the upper right quadrant. But for the most part, we're not necessarily experts on a lot of the training that we we develop and that we deliver. However, we can put together really, really effective conversations, dialogue activities, which puts us in the upper left-hand quadrant. So those are the kind of the four main quadrants in this model and the different types of um, maybe presentation styles or just the different types of presenters that, 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 that we'll find in, in this world of training. Very interesting, Brian. So what I hear you say is that this presenter quadrant is essentially a knowledge and ability matrix to help individuals better characterize their styles. And because it offers a sort of roadmap for professional development that any presenter may want to use or owning of their craft, um, is there anything specific that we need to know if we haven't done a lot of presenting before? Yeah. And so the, the thing about this is it is a model. And, um, you know, when I, when I wrote that article, Presenter Know Thyself, in the July edition of TD Magazine, um, I, I mentioned that there's an adage that's always stuck with me, that all models are wrong, but some models are useful. And that basically says that models generally are something that you're looking at in a very static sense, right? You can't move around a quadrant. You have a you have two by two, right? That's that's what the quadrant looks like. However, people are dynamic beings. And so if this model is helpful um, to help you navigate your, your world of, of training, I think it can be useful. However, you don't want to pigeonhole any one person into any one quadrant and say that's that's all they're going to be. And so when, when we think of this, especially people that may not have a lot of experience putting together really engaging learning programs, there's a couple of ways to navigate this quadrant. The first thing that this quadrant does, or this model does, um, this matrix does, is that it really helps you kind of identify what makes for a complete presentation, right? So that's good technical information and effective delivery, ways to engage people. And so if you're not super comfortable in front of a group, but you know a lot about a given topic, that's okay. Right. Usually an organization loves to have technical experts and that's who makes the organization money. Right. You can be a computer programmer. You can be an attorney. You can be a, a, a doctor that is doing, you know, whether it's research or, or applying practices. And then you're going to conferences and you're presenting just about what you know. 
that's totally fine. But if you want to bring your game to the next level as a technical expert, you can start to dive into this world of, you know, how do we how do we do more than just talk at people? Um, and so there are some things that you can do as an individual to do that. As somebody who might be responsible for putting together effective learning programs, something else that you can do is you can pair up a technical expert with somebody who's really good with the adult print, adult learning side of things. And you can kind of combine those two people to put you into quadrant three, into that upper right-hand quadrant. Um, or if you are somebody who's really, really good at um, adult learning, it, it is really helpful to know the business or at least have some familiarity with the business you're working with in order to to move over a little bit into that technical area of expertise. Now, when I was doing some research on this, I found I, I had my own assumptions and my own biases um, in terms of what makes for a better presenter, somebody who's who is more on the adult learning side of things or more on the technical expertise side of things. My own assumption was that it's it's better to come on the adult learning side because um, a lot of times we can get learners to engage in activities and that way they'll be able to boost their learning too, even if I'm not an expert. Now, several articles that I read where there's research about this said that it might be a little bit the opposite. Presenters tended to have more credibility when they were technical experts. So if you find yourself on the bottom side of this matrix, that's okay. It's okay to be a technical expert. It is helpful and it is important for the overall learning experience to either you know, spend a little bit of time in figuring out how do I get people to engage with this material or work with somebody else who's an expert in, in getting people to engage with material. Vice versa, when it comes to presenters who are really good with the adult learning side of things, it is helpful to, um, to do your homework and to get a little bit more technical knowledge of expertise or bring in a subject matter expert who would be able to answer some questions the learners may have. Wow, this makes a lot of sense. And I know it's very helpful to people who are trying to figure things out. Now, in your article, I remember you had described the fact that most presenters tend to gravitate toward a specific quadrant area, yet the matrix itself is situational. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what's called quadrant mobility and explain that to us further? Yeah, yeah. And and I think that we all have our own comfort zones, right? So we're we're all comfortable in certain areas. I'm comfortable given a topic and just asking people to engage in dialogue around it. Um, and whether that is something around tire sales or um, working with people who train service animals and, and therapy animals, um, you know, regardless of the topic, I'm most comfortable getting people to engage in dialogue. That said, this whole matrix is indeed situational because there are so few topics that I'm a really uh, deep expert in. However, like I mentioned before, um, if I'm doing a presentation on presentation skills, I would find myself in the upper right-hand quadrant. Um, most other times, I'll find myself in the upper left-hand quadrant. There may be some times when I'm asked to do something very quickly on presentation skills, whatever it might be, and I throw adult learning out the window um, and find myself over in the bottom right quadrant, which is the technical expertise without the adult learning. And so th th some, sometimes it really depends on how much time you have, how much effort 
and energy you have, whether you're having a good day. So all of those things can can really play into this matrix. But that said, in terms of long-term mobility, um, I was I was talking about it a little bit more in in the previous uh, previous uh, question that you had asked. Um, there there are ways to either upskill your yourself in terms of technical experts learning more about presentation skills uh, and presentation experts learning a little bit more about the technical expertise, or combining forces, co-facilitating or bringing in a guest um, who can who can help answer questions on the technical side of things. Or for, the, for those technical experts, simply sitting down and learning how to lesson plan, learning how to um, break up your presentation, learning how to create learning objectives so your presentation can be focused um, and, and so that you're not giving everybody all the things that you yourself think are important, but you're giving the learners what it is that they need to do their job better. Okay, so is this how someone can determine where they fall in that matrix or are there other strategies that you can recommend? Yeah, I think that with this, um, it's, it's fair to kind of eyeball it. Um, but that said, we, uh, we all have our own biases. And I think there's lots of studies out there that point to the idea that we think we're usually better in any given area than we might actually be. <laughs> yes. um, and, and so, um, so it, 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 what I try to do um, in that TD Magazine article uh, is to just ask a few questions of people. And for each question that you answer yes or no, you get a point. Um, and then you can kind of plot yourself out on that matrix. So there are some ways that are a little bit less um, subjective and a little bit less um, subject to your own biases. Um, that said, uh, this, this whole matrix is a starting area, um, and and you know at the end of the day, what you need to do is balance um, what the learners need with how you're going to put together a presentation and, and deliver it. I love the fact that we have options here. Now, you did mention your recent book a little bit earlier, and it's called What's Your Formula? Combine Learning Elements for Impactful Training. And it explores the elements of the periodic table of amazing learning experiences. Would you share with our talent development community how you decided to creatively come up with such a concept? And also, if you don't mind, can you share with us what we can learn from reading your book? Yeah. And so my oldest child um, loves this story. They they want um, they actually want to get royalties from the book because they claim that it's, <laughs> it's their idea. Right. So a few years ago, there's a random Thursday that um, they didn't have school. And so I was like, oh, let's go out for lunch. And we went to a place called the Lunchbox Laboratory here in Seattle. And it's it's kind of laboratory themed, but there's lunch boxes all around. Um, and and you get your milkshakes and beakers and things like that. And when we were talking and, and our lunches came, uh, I noticed that they had corn dogs sitting atop a placemat that was a periodic table of food elements that the restaurant used. So things like salt or pepper, or ketchup or things like that. And when I was looking at that periodic table, I was like, ooh, that's kind of a fun idea. Um, I I would love to create a a learning periodic table. I think that would yes. kind of be a cool thing, right? Yes. And so um, I I thought about it for the next few days. Every time I talked to a colleague, um, when whenever I would uh, whenever I would go for a hike, I this idea just kept coming to me. And so um, I started to play around with the idea and and wonder what would some of these elements be. 
And then the thing about a periodic table is it's not just a list, but it's an organized list. And so if you take a look at this periodic table, and and for those who are listening who would like to, to actually see what this periodic table looks like, you can go to 51elementsoflearning.com. And there you can see this periodic table. You can interact with it. You can click on each of the elements and learn a little bit more. But with this um, periodic table, you, you'll see that these elements are broken into what we call solid elements, liquid elements, gas-like elements, radioactive elements, and interactive elements. And so these are, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a table of 51 different elements that it's helpful for anyone, whether you're new to the field or if you've been in the field for a while, it just gives you this menu of elements that you can keep in mind as you're putting together a learning program. And I mentioned learning programs specifically and not necessarily a formal training program because there are some things in here that will help you, whether you're doing in-person or virtual or e-learning. But sometimes learning programs are more than just those formal learning experiences, things like coaching, things like supervisor support things um, things like self-directed learning. All of those things can, can be helpful if you think about them and we don't always think about them. And so that's the value, I think, of the periodic table. Now it's broken down into these five categories. Gas-like elements are those el- are, are, are theories um, in our field that um, very similar to like oxygen, other other gases that are that are in nature. We don't think about them very much. But if all the oxygen was suddenly sucked out of the room, we'd notice it. And it's the same <laughs> with, the, with these elements, right? So things like adult learning theory or visual design, um, if those are not present, we notice it really quickly. The solid elements are things like tools, whether they're physical tools like lesson plans or flip chart or markers um, or digital tools, things like um, virtual meeting platforms or screen capture um, software. So those are tools that you can be use, you can be using. To, to generate a learning program. The liquid elements are practices that, similar to liquids in nature, often take the shape of the vessel in which they're poured. And so when we think of our work experience, the vessel in which we're pouring these liquid elements would be the organization, right? So supervisor support or um, or follow-up to training or the ways that training is assessed, that can look different in different organizations, but um, it can also you can also find your stride when you're using these and freeze them in place, very similar to liquids. Um, when you think of the radioactive elements that are in this periodic table, those are some of the most commonly used, um, some of the most powerful, yet some of the most dangerous elements that are known to the world of learning and development. So things like lecture, PowerPoint, subject matter experts, icebreakers, those are all radioactive elements that you really need to be careful how you use those. And the book talks a little bit about those. And then interactive elements. Those are the elements that um, we can use, mostly digital tools, oftentimes social media platforms that people can use in order to engage with either their own learners or engage with the learning community at, at large. Wow, I definitely see the problem that this solves, and this is incredibly creative. Now, um, I have heard of Soapbox, and guys, that's S-O-A-P-B-O-X. Is that one of the ways talent development leaders or learning partners can engage with your company, Endurance Learning, to improve their learning strategies? 
Yeah. So Soapbox is a tool that we've we've created, and it really helps people um, put together, whether it's uh, in-person or virtual, it really helps people put together instructor-led training fast. So if you have a few minutes, um, it will help you put together um, a lesson plan. It has a library of over 200 um, activities in it. And so what you do is you go to um, the site, soapboxify.com, and you'll go in and you'll put in a little bit of information about the presentation you have have coming up. So it could be what is the title of your presentation? How many people are going to attend? Is it going to be in-person or virtual? Um, how long is it going to be? And what are your learning objectives? You click submit and within minutes, it generates um, you know, a sequence and flow of, of activities that you can use to, to develop, to deliver your, your presentation. So that's certainly one way that people can um, engage with us. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's a blog in a podcast that we also put out on Mondays and Thursdays each week, train like a champion that blog is that site um, where people can just kind of listen to our podcasts or read our information, get resources like lesson plan templates or um, uh, product reviews or things like that for, for things that are happening in the learning development space. Um, so that's another great way to engage. And then of course, if people want to just engage one-on-one -on -one, happy to connect on LinkedIn or um, on Twitter, my handle is flipchartguy. So please do connect with me that way. So any of those ways would be ways to, to engage with me with our organization. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all these tips and recommendations. I, I love the opportunity to, to nerd out with, with, <laughs> with other folks in the ATD community and in the learning community in general. Yeah, you know, I have to say, Brian, I think this is one of those episodes where I hope everyone either had a notebook with them so they could take some notes while they were listening or they're planning to listen again because this has been chock full of ideas and tips and strategies. And I mean, I know this is one I'm going to revisit. So really appreciate that. But we are not quite done with our conversation yet. At the end of every episode, we like to ask our guest five rapid-fire style questions. Each question requires about 60 seconds or so to respond. So what do you say? Are you ready for some rapid-fire? Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. I love it. All right. Your first question is, give us one book that all talent development professionals must read and why. Yeah, so there's a book called Learning to Listen, Learning to Teach, and it's by Jane Vela. And a lot of educators read it, but it's not as popular in the L&D space. It really centers on this concept of dialogue education, and um, and it's it's what we base a lot of our training programs around. Um, it's it it. it it revolves around 12 principles of dialogue education, and um, and it's something that cuts across cultures, cuts across um, cuts across organizations, cuts across countries, um, whatever it might be. And I think that it's something that's made our training programs better. Um, and I think that anybody could could benefit and add to their craft using the strategies that, that Jane Bella outlines there. Yeah, that's a new one for me. I've written that one down. That sounds fantastic. Great. 
All right. Give us one tool that you recently learned about and immediately started using. You know, we do a lot of e-learning development, and it's very difficult to um, to do quality control for all sorts of browsers, different devices. Are you using a phone, a tablet, a computer, a laptop? Um, and so Browser Stack is a tool that we've recently started to use that can give us all the different views in, in one one platform. So it's super helpful for quality control on e-learning programs. Funny you mentioned that. I recently started using that one myself. Very impressive so far. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's it's a really cool tool. All right. What is the best piece of talent development related advice you've ever been given? And this comes back from from when I was first learning instructional design. I was a GED instructor in Washington, D.C. at a a youth center. And um, my father, who had been teaching science for for decades, was was kind of mentoring me in, in terms of how to become an instructional designer. And the advice that he gave me was, it's not about you. It's about the learner. Wow. It's powerful in its simplicity, isn't it? But so true. That's phenomenal. All right. What is one thing you're excited about that's coming up in the next year? You know, I think that getting back to in-person meetings, especially conferences and connecting, I got a taste of this at ATD Ice in Salt Lake City last month. Um, I'd forgotten how much I missed it. And I'm really looking forward to getting back to doing more things in person. Yep. Absolutely relate to that, too. All right. Your last rapid fire question is this one. What is one thing within our industry that you are deeply grateful for right now? Uh, the, the the truth is, and I know that this is an ATD um, chapter podcast, but I have to say that the one thing that I'm, I'm really deeply grateful for right now is my membership with ATD. It has been the most valuable when it comes to connections, whether that is in my local chapter um, with the board, as well as on the national level, um, you know, being able to meet a number of other authors and presenters at various conferences. I've been able to connect with them, to collaborate with them, um, and just to get a community um, and lots of different ideas. I couldn't agree with you more. It is one of the absolute best investments I have made. I am so glad to hear you say that. It sounds like that is true for you as well. It certainly is. Yep. Amazing. Brian, we are so happy you joined us today to share your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, this was fun. And thank you to my co-hosts as well. Yeah, Brian, like I said, I hope everyone had a chance to jot down some notes or are planning to listen back. This was full of great ideas. Thank you so much. Agreed. I really enjoyed this. Well, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. And and I'd love to to come back and and nerd out anytime. (laughs) We'd love, we would love to have you back. And many thanks to our community for listening. Before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Do you want to connect with like-minded talent development professionals? Then go to dcatd.org forward slash COPs to learn more about our independent consultant, instructional design, leadership development, and government communities of practice. Want to network with other chapter members? Join the Metro DC chapter of ATD members on LinkedIn today. 